Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Empire Second Quarter 2022 conference call. At this time, all lines are in a listen-only mode, but following the presentation, we will conduct a question-and-answer session. And if at any time during the call you require immediate assistance, please press star zero for the operator. Also note that the call is being recorded on Thursday, December 9th, 2021. And I would like to turn the conference over to Katie Bryan, Director, Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Sylvie. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for our second quarter conference call. Today, we will provide summary comments on our results and then open the call for questions. This call is being recorded, and the audio recording will be available on the company's website at empireco.ca. There is a short summary document outlining the points of our quarter available on our website. Joining me on the call this afternoon are Michael Medline, President and Chief Executive Officer. Matt Rindell, Chief Financial Officer, Michael Vells, Chief Development Officer, and Pierre St. Laurent, Chief Operating Officer, Full Service. Today's discussion includes forward-looking statements. We caution that such statements are based on management's assumptions and beliefs and are subject to uncertainties and other factors that could cause actual results to differ materially. I refer you to our news release and MD&A for more information on these assumptions and factors. I will now turn the call over to Michael Medline. Thanks, Katie, and good afternoon, everyone. Before I jump into the quarter, our thoughts continue to be with all those affected by the ongoing disaster in British Columbia. We will continue to work with our local supplier partners as they navigate the impact to the food supply chain and infrastructure. We are extremely proud of our teammates who have navigated the crises in British Columbia, Newfoundland and Labrador over the last several weeks. I also want to take a moment to welcome Matt Rendell, our new CFO, to this call. Matt has been with Empire for the past two years. He has been absolutely critical in setting up Project Horizon for success and has led our Longos partnership. Matt joined Empire with extensive experience from Nestle. I also want to thank Mike Vells for his great run as CFO. As you know, Mike is an exceptional leader and we are thrilled he has stepped into the Chief Development Officer role. Mike will now focus his many talents on continuous improvement in our execution delivering our Project Horizon targets and our growing ambitions beyond Horizon. Now let's talk about the business. It was a straight up good quarter. Well executed by our teams across the country, we are consistently putting numbers on the board. We have strong underlying momentum and in only four and a half months we will be entering our crucial final year of Project Horizon, which we're feeling very good about. Today I want to cover four topics our continued strong performance, how we're managing inflation, how we're seeing the full service versus discount split, and e-commerce. First, our results. This was another strong quarter for Empire. Our sales grew 4.9% this quarter, while same-store sales grew 90 basis points from Q1 to negative 1.3%. As we and many others have said, year-over-year comparables do not tell the entire story as we lap strong COVID sales. Our same-store sales have grown 6.8% over the last two years. Our e-commerce sales, excluding Grocery Gateway, 
We're up 1.8%, but this number disguises the fact that voila has continued to grow while being partly offset by our IGA.net and Thrifty Foods businesses comping strong COVID-driven sales. If we included Grocery Gateway, our total e-commerce sales are up 33%. Sales are up as we continue to execute on key occasions. Our merchants and operators did an exceptional job delivering great value to our customers for Thanksgiving and Halloween. We did this with a great customer experience, in-store and online, exceptional assortment, and great promotions. I'll speak more to inflation in a moment, but continuing to offer our customers meaningful value through promotions is more important than ever right now. We have enjoyed significant momentum with these big seasonal events. On top of that, our investments in our renovations and own brands are paying off, especially in our full-service stores. Our renovated stores look and perform in an excellent fashion, and you'll see this continue to accelerate our performance. This successful and significant investment in the interior and exterior of our stores sometimes flies under the radar, but I'm convinced this improvement in store experience will be a game changer for Empire. And continuing to improve on our own brand's offering is giving our customers increasing opportunities to save money without compromising on quality. We're very pleased with the progress we made and expect this will pay off in the current inflationary environment. Empire's gross margin is strong and improving. Excluding the impact of fuel, we improved our gross margin rate by 72 basis points. This is on top of last year's strong margins and is largely due to our continued progress against Project Horizon, the addition of Longos, and our business mix returning a little bit more to normal. Linked to our robust gross margin results, our SG&A rate went up 27 basis points. This is because our higher margin businesses, full service, farm boy, longos, are becoming more and more successful. These businesses have higher gross margins, but also higher SG&A, which is why it is critical to look at our bottom line, which is showing solid improvement. Overall, our SG&A expenses were very well managed. Our EBITDA margin, grew year over year by an impressive 36 basis points to 7.7%. Our EPS performance was similarly strong at 66 cents, up 6 cents from last year. Even more dramatic is our two-year EPS growth, which is up 29% when we remove the impact of Crombie's unusually large property disposal of 6 cents in fiscal 20. I'm also very pleased to report that our free cash flow grew 72% over last year, even after funding a very healthy capital reinvestment program. Our strategy is working. We're growing sales. We're improving margins. We're managing costs. We're generating strong cash flows. We're delivering for our shareholders. We're halfway through Horizon, and we have momentum and still the most upside in the industry. There is so much more to come as we get into fiscal 23. Next, I'd like to dig into inflation and how we're managing it. Inflation is unusually high right now, the rising cost of doing business is a reality that all businesses across the globe are facing, not just in grocery, but we're managing it well. Our merchants and supplier partners are out there every day fighting to keep prices low for our customers. Our merchants are doing a fantastic job working with our data to utilize the effect of inflation on our customers, an example of how we're utilizing more and more data throughout our company. And many of you are familiar with our unique but successful approach to managing our relationships with our supplier partners. With our approach, we have risen to be ranked number two in the annual Advantage Supplier Survey of the top six grocers in Canada. We were at the bottom of the ranking only a few short years ago. 
We are working diligently and respectfully together with our supplier partners to manage the cost increases coming through. It's actually because of these powerful relationships that we have been so successful in managing inflation and navigating any supply chain issues so far. Having relationships based on trust and transparency helps us keep conversations focused only on the real unavoidable cost increases so we can maintain the best value for our customers. And where inflation does impact us, our full service network is in the best position to manage it. First, our higher margin model is more adept at mitigating cost increases. And second, our broader assortment gives value conscious customers a myriad of substitutions. Where we've had unavoidable price increases, we see customers sometimes substituting products within their basket, but not leaving our stores. Now over to the full service versus discount split, a topic that has been popular recently. As we've accurately prognosticated quarter after quarter, we expect discount will return almost to pre-pandemic levels, but slowly. In other words, we are not seeing fast, significant changes, and in fact, we continue to see a lot of stickiness in our full-service banners. As we look ahead, we believe our full-service stores will keep momentum coming out of COVID. While customer occasions are starting to change, including more visits to restaurants, we are seeing a structural change in consumption of food at home. Over the past 22 months, customers have seen and experienced the affordability and convenience in eating at home with their families. We believe there is permanence in this shift. We're seeing this is, is how customers are shopping. Prior to COVID, customers shopped an average of eight food stores a month. During COVID, that dropped to one or two, and today that number is steady at five to six stores. Despite this, our customers continue to favor larger shops at full-service stores. While some of this is COVID, we've also made significant improvements in the last five years to thrill our customers. We improved our offering, strengthened our price perception, renovated our stores to deliver an exceptional in-store experience. Our customers are giving us credit for it, and it's why we think full service will be sticky. There's an equilibrium in supply and demand between full service and discount stores, and our full service stores have never provided such value and service. Finally, I want to touch briefly on e-commerce. E-commerce is a small fraction of the market today, but it is growing quickly and is top of mind right now. For our customers, we believe it will be critical to have the best omnichannel experience that includes e-commerce. And for our shareholders, it will be critical that we do this profitably. We've run Click and Collect for years in Quebec and British Columbia. At best, it's an okay experience for customers, and we know it's not profitable at scale. Ocado developed best-in-world technology that thrills our customers and is a profitable solution at scale. And reaching scale is not the same as reaching capacity. We'll get to scale much sooner than that. We were confident in our investment in Voila in 2018, and now after running in the GTA for over a year and seeing the results, we are more confident in it than ever, especially after seeing how little progress non-Ocado technology has made across the globe. I'll pass it over to Matt in a moment, but as you can see, there's a lot of momentum at Empire. In a couple of quarters from now, we will be done lapping COVID results, as will our peers. We performed extraordinarily well when the chips were down during COVID. Very soon, the playing field will be level again, and that's good for Empire. I've said many times that the second year of a three-year strategy is the hardest. We're making investments, great investments that are improving our business, and not yet seeing all of the benefits. Next year, we expect our investors will see those benefits even more clearly.
With that, I'll pass the call over to Matt for his inaugural report as CFO of Empire. Over to you, Matt, and congratulations. Thanks, Michael. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. So before I jump into our performance, uh, firstly, let me say how pleased I am to have joined Empire's executive team. Uh, and I also want to take a moment to express my thanks to Mike Bells, who has given me the best possible transition into Empire over the past two years. There's no question that I have some very large shoes to fill, but the great news for Empire is that Mike is still with us in his new role, and together we will ensure that the CFO transition is extremely smooth. I'm also extremely happy that for my first quarterly earnings release, I get to talk about such strong performance. So let me provide some additional color on our results, and then we can jump right into your questions. Gross margin was 25.3%, and if we exclude fuel, this re represents a 72 basis points increase versus last year. Our promotional optimizational tools continue to expand margin, along with the addition of the higher margin longer's business. We continue to sustainably improve our gross margin performance, and we're expecting more upside in fiscal 23 from our Horizon initiatives. Our SG&A was 21.2%, which was 27 basis points higher than last year. There's a number of puts and takes which drove this increase. First, Longos has higher SG&A than our average, and we'll continue to see this mix impact until we comp their results next year. Second, our depreciation is higher, mainly due to an increase in right-of-use asset depreciation under IFRS 16, reflecting an increase in occupancy costs. These increases were partially offset by lower incentive compensation accruals in the quarter. Our EBITDA increased by 36 basis points to 7.7%, driven by our strong gross margin performance, which was fueled by Project Horizon. We are now halfway through Horizon and on track, and we will continue to see Horizon benefits for the rest of this year, and even more so in fiscal 23. The effective income tax rate for the quarter was 26.2%, which is slightly lower than our statutory rate, primarily due to our consolidated structured entities that are taxed at lower rates. We are still expecting that the effective tax rate for fiscal 22 will be between 26 and 28%, excluding the effect of any unusual transactions or differential tax rates on property sales. Earnings per share was 66 cents, which included voila dilution of seven cents for the quarter. Our e-commerce platforms have combined sales growth of 33% over last year, but excluding the acquired grocery gateway business, our e-commerce sales grew 1.8%. This was primarily driven by the continued growth of Voila, partially offset by the COVID-related declines in IGA.net and Thrifties. Equity earnings increased year over year, mostly due to a higher level of activity from our GenStar real estate development. Property lot sales in California accounted for the highest contribution this quarter, but as we said in the past, Timing plays an important element in these GenStar sales, and this quarter is not necessarily indicative of an increasing trend. Crombie also had higher earnings due to reductions in their bad debt levels compared to last year, which was impacted by COVID. Our cash flow generation and balance street remain strong. Free cash flow generation increased 72% over last year, despite the continued investment in our stores. This also allows for our continued share buyback program, and as of this week, we have repurchased approximately 4.8 million shares in fiscal 22, 
for a total consideration of approximately $190 million. Also, even with the Longo's acquisition, we have maintained our net funded debt to net total capital ratio at 3.3 times. Strong cash flows allow us to continue investing in our store network. During Q2, we improved 45 stores through renovation, redevelopment, or conversion. This included one new Fresco store with seven more to open over the next few months. We also opened one new farm boy in the quarter and two more locations subsequent to the quarter, including one new and one converted site. Finally, uh, I'd like to uh, congratulate Farm Boy on their 40th anniversary last week. Uh, they've come a long way from a 300-square-foot produce store in Cornwall, Ontario, to now a network of 42 stores and counting. Tomorrow marks the third anniversary since we welcomed Farm Boy into the Empire family, and we are extremely pleased with the progress we've been able to make together. And with that, I want to wish you all a, a safe and happy holiday season. Katie, I'll have, hand the call back to you for questions. Thank you, Matt. Sylvie, you may open the line for questions at this time. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will then hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. And if you would like to remove yourself from the question queue, please press star followed by two. And if you're using a speakerphone, we do ask that you please lift the handset before pressing any key. Please go ahead and press star one now if you do have a question. And your first question will be from Patricia Baker at Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Well, thank you very much, operator, and good afternoon, everyone. Michael, um, I have one question and then a follow-up. And my first question is, is uh, directed at you. I'd like to unpack a little bit your assertion that uh, there's a structural shift to more eating um, at at, uh, at at home, um, and it's inter interestingly enough, we heard very similar comments. In uh, in fact, that very phrase from Rodney McMullen uh, last week on their uh, earnings call. I'd love if you could just share with us your thoughts and what what is the thinking, what is it that has led you to that uh, uh, conclusion? And then, obviously, if that is the case, it's, pro it's it will be a nice uh, tailwind over the next several years for the grocers in general. Yeah, I won't bore you with the how many pieces of data we look up at to make that conclusion in our business and, uh, and the way we look at it and, and, and how we are understanding of um, Canadian customers in the market. Um, and we also look at our own results, um, and we're seeing mm -hmm. we're seeing basket sizes remain at elevated uh, levels to the extent that we believe that uh, all these data points uh, plus what we're seeing in basket size are indicating. Um, not only a sticky situation, but in some cases, a probably a permanent shift. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, I agree with uh, Rodney that uh, that's happening in Canada as well as the United States. Okay, thank you for that. And then my follow-up, just is, I, I'm not sure if it's for uh, Matt, Mike, or, or, or yourself, but just in, 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 the, pre in the press release uh, this morning, uh, you reiterated the fact that in fiscal 2022, you anticipate that the dilution from voila will be in that range of 25 to 30, 30 cents per share, which is a number that you've given us several uh, quarters ago. And secondly, also confirmed that you believe that this will be the peak uh, year for a voila dilution. So just looking at the fact that you didn't change anything there, am I right in assuming that that, that is indicating that you're seeing exactly what you want to see with respect to, to voila and the first uh, facility and the progress that you're making 
uh, cost-wise, et cetera, in, uh, in, in, in Montreal, uh, that things are going as you had anticipated and there's no uh, serious change there would, that would cause you to have any uh, different viewpoint or outlook for how you think that's going to perform over the longer term. Yeah, so Patricia, I'll take that. So, I mean, the, the very simple answer to your question is, is yes. So uh, our dilution for the year is expected to be 25 to 30 cents within that range, and F22 will be the peak of the of the dilution. So nothing's changed from that from from our expectations. And just add on, it's Michael that I don't you know now that we have Grocery Gate, we have a year under our belts with voila. Probably in the GTA, no one has a better view of what actually goes on in e-commerce across the across the uh, landscape than we do. And I think people don't quite understand e-commerce sometimes and these seasonal shifts you see in e-commerce. Um, and so uh, we, we have a very good understanding of what's going on in the business and our confidence level remains very high. Okay, thank you very much for that, both of you. Thank you, Patricia. Have a good holiday. You too. Thank you. Next question will be from Karen Short at Barclays. Please go ahead. Hi, a couple questions. Um, first of all, wondering if you could provide what the actual inflation number was in the quarter and what your thoughts are as we go into calendar 22. Um, and then within that, you know, you talked about customer behavior and improve or strength in private label. So maybe triangulate that with behavior from the customer perspective. Uh, well, I'll, I'll kick that off and then hand you over to Pierre for the for the for the own brands piece. The, so, consistent with what we've said in the past, uh, Karen, we're not going to give our internal inflation number. Um, so that's not something we that we normally provide. Pierre, do you want? Oh, uh, I think it's obvious that um, our uh, own brands. Uh, it's a very strong option for customers to mitigate inflation and. Um, our relaunch of this brand couldn't have come at a better time for us. And as you, we, we did the rebranding uh, more than a year ago. Uh, we did the rebuild in many categories already. So we're really pleased with the progress we've made there. We are seeing, uh, even if it's not the main metrics we're looking at, because we need to make sure that, as I said in the past, uh, own brand are playing a key role and a meaningful role in every single category. We seeing our penetration growing period after period, which is a good sign for uh, how it's accepted by our customer, how relevant is our offer, and it's really good for our financials because we are strongly believe that it's a good margin generator for us. Are, are you seeing trading down as a function as a result of inflation, and/or are you passing on all cost inflation? If you could, you provide any color on that? There's a, there's a cost increase pressure on both own brands and national brands. However, we have more leverage to mitigate those costs on own brand than on private than on own brand. So we we facing the same issue. You know, the cost of ingredient don't change, the cost of packaging don't change, the pressure, the inflation inflationary pressure doesn't don't change. But because it's our own brand, we have more lever to mitigate those. Uh, increases. So uh, that's that's it's why it's it would be a more and more popular option for customers, and it's good for our bottom line as well. So it's a win-win situation for both customers and us. 
Okay, and then, you know, it's been over a year um, in terms of the GTA with voila. I'm just wondering if you could give a little color on what that, in specifically in GTA, what e-commerce is as a percent of sales and then how you see that trending over time, generally speaking. And I'm only specifically asking for GTA, obviously. Sure, it's Mike Bells. The, um, the, market, the market has grown clearly through COVID. Uh, as we come off COVID, there's been uh, some some return to stores, but uh, the Canadians and particularly our Vola customers are much more comfortable about uh, uh, ordering online, and, uh, and we continue to see uh, be bullish about the uh, the penetration of uh, of online grocery, particularly uh, in the urban urban centres. We're not currently providing uh, a breakdown of our sales, uh, but I will tell you that for us, uh, it's. Um, it, it, it's obviously growing uh, and has been growing since we opened the facility. Uh, we've been growing our assortment consecutively uh, every month, and uh, and that business has good momentum. Okay, thank you. Happy holidays. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Next question will be from Kendrick Tai at ATB Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thank you and good afternoon. Uh, Michael, I wonder if you could speak, two-part question on promotional intensity. So the first one would be, can you speak to the increase in promotional intensity in quarter and perhaps where in store it is most pronounced? And the second piece of that question would be, how much smarter across the market has, has, uh, has promotional activity become and how much smarter do you think you are and how much room is there on that journey? So what was the second How yeah, I'm probably going to answer that we're smarter somehow, but what was the question? Um, How much smarter has the market become in terms of its promotional, uh, you know, promotional activity, promotional programs? And in that context, you know, do you think you're tracking ahead or behind in terms of that increase in how much smarter the market has become? Okay, I'll just answer the first part, and then I'll see if there's anything to, to add. But no, um, in terms of competitive intensity, promotional intensity, we're seeing no difference from pre-pandemic times. Pierre, did you have anything to add? No, unless that, because we are dealing with a lot of volatility right now for various reasons that we know on supply chain, on, on inflation. But now we're using more and more data and tools. So that's really helpful to manage uh, the situation. So we're using data that a human cannot use. So we have a good outcome from the tools that we implemented over the last year. So it's why we, we have been able to quickly adjust our mix, our promotion, and our promotion remain extremely relevant for customers, and, and uh, it's why our margin continues to grow in that very volatile environment. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thank you. And then if I could, just on uh, supply chain and supply chain related sort of pressures, can you just speak to, with respect to your, uh, your build out west, um, any potential uh, risks, or do you, do you see that as being fairly well contained from a timing perspective? You're talking about store built? Yes. Okay, Mike, uh, you've got real estate. The, um, 
the program is, uh, is, is really moving ahead uh, according to our expectations. Having said that, uh, the most significant challenge that we're facing, and, and I'm sure anybody who's tried to build anything or, or, or do any, anything that involves uh, logistics and materials these days, um, you know, will agree that, uh, that it's, it's becoming more complex and, and harder to stay on time. Um, so we're mostly, um, uh, you know, making sure that on our store innovation program, we, uh, we order well in advance. And that uh, and, and, and that program is, is, is still managing very very well. On CFC three, um, we'd uh, we finished uh, our part of that build uh, some time ago, and handed it over to Ocado, and uh, and they are well on track uh, to uh, to be finished on time. Great, thank you. I'll leave it back in the queue, and uh, happy holidays, folks. You too, Karen. Thank you. And your next question will be from Irene Natal at RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Just wondering what you're seeing in the marketplace uh, around competitive intensity, with, you know, certainly as, as consumers become a little bit uh, more aware and, and sensitive to the rising inflation. Um, we're not seeing more intensity uh, from our competitors. The thing we are seeing, everybody try to playing around high volatility. So it's why it could be different year over year. But I think we're all facing the same issue. And but we're not facing more competitive intensity right now. So and it's very by category, depend of inflation in some period of time it's one category, in another period of time it's another category. It's why we're seeing in terms of change when we look at the competitors, on competitors, but overall, I think we're not. We remain extremely competitive, like we have been over the last many, many years. So we're, we're competing all the time. That's great, thank you. And then, uh, just on a slightly different topic, I wanted to come back to the whole uh, gross margin SG&A. So, um, if we were to kind of put aside the mixed changes. Um, resulting from, you know, longos and, and, and the like, um, and, and sort of the sh also the impact of uh, e-commerce. What would be the cadence on the underlying business with respect to both gross margin and SG&A? Well, let's take um, gross margin first. So um, the biggest driver of gross margin, our gross margin enhancement, is promotional optimization through our Horizon tools. Um, so that's something that improved our margins last year, improved our margins this year, and we will continue to expect that that will enhance our margin next year, particularly as uh, our teams get more and more comfortable with using that tool. Uh, and then on SG&A, uh, as we said in the uh, in the script, as Quite a few moving pieces within SGNA, um, so it's it's hard to predict that. I think the you know those higher SGNA businesses, which are also our higher margin businesses like Full Service and Farm Boy, will continue to grow. Um, so that will increase that rate. But then our ongoing cost control, uh, which is very strong in the company, uh, will, will should mitigate that. So you know, we may have reached a point of uh, of a run rate of SGNA. Uh, for the foreseeable future. That's great. Thank you very much, and a happy holiday. Thanks, Irene. Have a good one. Thank you. 
Next question will be from Mark Petrie at CIBC. Please go ahead. Yeah, good afternoon. I uh, just had a few follow-ups actually with regards to e-commerce. Um, just re regarding the voila dilution, you know, it was a step up from what we saw in Q1. Is that a reflection of the preparation in Montreal or was there any change in the dilution of the Toronto CFC as, uh, as growth rates have evolved? Hey Mark, that's, uh, that's primarily as we add costs um, uh, into a system to prepare for Montreal. So as, as, I, as I just mentioned to Kenrick, you know, we've, um, uh, we've pretty well completed our construction. Lucado is pretty well done with uh, the inside of the facility. Uh, we'll be starting to inbound uh, product fairly soon. And as you can imagine, there's, um, there's costs that come with that, uh, both the uh, Acado fees and, and also we're hiring uh, to ensure that we're ready for our go-live. So, so that would be the primary reason for the, uh, the increases in dilution uh, this quarter and, and going forward. Yeah, okay. And then just related to that, um, obviously the ramp-up in Montreal is going to look a lot different than it was in Ontario simply because of, you know, you're bringing customers over from IGA. So how should we think about the dilution progressing in sort of Q3, Q4, you know, could or should Q3 be higher than Q4? Well, I think if you do the math, you know, our range is 25 to 30. Uh, so far, we've got 12 here to date. And, uh, and so, I, I, you know, I think uh, depending on, on how the volumes and the, uh, and the, the, the winter period goes with uh, the GTA facility, <clears throat> you know, I, I think the math would tell you that we'd be at or slightly higher than the uh, Q2 uh, dilution rate. Yeah, sorry, I was just <clears throat> I was just trying to gauge Q3 versus Q4. That's all. Oh, I see. Thank you. Sorry. Um, again, to some extent, very responsive to volumes uh, in the first CFC, but the cost would be ramping up in Montreal, so you'd expect. Uh, all things being equal, there'd be a higher number in Q4 than Q3. Okay. Uh, and then um, you highlighted the importance of sort of seasonal um, in the in-store the in business, and I'm just wondering how Bola performs around those types of occasions. Do you see a shift in sort of the relative popularity of, of e-commerce versus, versus store shopping? Um, and, you know, is there a shift in basket composition online, you know, is it different from what you would see in store? Yeah, it's, uh, I'm just trying to think, and, um, and voila, I've only gone through one series of this, so I'm trying to think about it through, but I'd say that it's, um, yes, you see seasonal shifts, obviously, in basket, and and, and baskets get larger, but um, I'd, I'd have to check, Mark, in terms of whether it's all the way up to what you see in stores, maybe a tiny bit less uh, amplitude, uh, up and down seasonality from occasions. But there is quite a bit of seasonality in terms of, um, of volume to times of the year. In terms of the okay, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then one more, if I just could, just with regards to Farm Boy, I just want to sort of, you know, are you seeing the same trends in in that banner uh, in terms of you know elevated demand for full service uh, store? I mean, I know it's not quite full service the same way as as a, as a Sobeys, but 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 in that direction. And also, you know, have the different formats that you guys have kind of tested uh, performed? And I think these are the first conversions from Sobe stores that are happening now. But if that's not the case, how have those performed? And, you know, how are you feeling about the opportunities for that going forward? 
And first, first question, absolutely, we feel the same way about Farm Boy in terms of full service, as you mentioned. Uh, the second is we've, we, I think, I think Ottawa was our first, uh, I can't remember when it opened, but it's a, I, w I went and visited it, so um, it was a little while ago. And uh, I'd say the biggest surprise to us is we knew we could convert Sobeys, um, especially Urban Fresh, but others, Sobeys to Farm Boy. Uh, but I think that our uh, we found more locations which have been more successful than we imagined, is the way I would put it. So when we did the model, we bought it. We knew there would be some, but we wanted to test it before we got too excited. And um, and, and the ones that we have converted, um, very, very pleased with the results and, uh, and, and what we're seeing from the farm board. Okay. Excellent. Thank you very much, and uh, all the best. Thanks, Mark. Next question will be from Michael Van Elst at TD Securities. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, I wanted to just uh, finish up on the e-commerce uh, because in response to Mark's question, you, it was implied that the um, dilution would increase in kind of Q3, Q4. So let's just say that you're running it closer to $0.09 cents by Q4. How that on an annualized basis that's like thirty six cents, but you're saying peak dilution will be in twenty twenty in fiscal twenty two. So, as we go through fiscal twenty three, what what causes that to to come down that dilution? Is it because Montreal uh, ramps up much quicker because of the existing business and therefore only stays you know more dilutive initially because of the ramp up? Or is it a combination of that and, and of course, Toronto coming to break even? No, the, the primary driver of that is absolutely CFC1. As uh, that uh, CFC continues to grow volumes and get more efficient, uh, dilution decreases for CFC1. So that's, that's the main driver. Okay. And, and should Montreal's dilution follow a similar pattern as what we've seen in Toronto? No, it's okay. Um, sorry, Michael, we're uh, battling for the microphone here. Um, uh, it'll be less on, a, on an absolute basis for two reasons. First of all, as you correctly pointed out, uh, we have an existing uh, uh, base of customers, and um, and we're also starting with uh, with an exceptional uh, assortment, uh, which is different uh, from how we started in Toronto. And we also have uh, many of our back office and infrastructure costs uh, in Toronto, uh, which we don't have to replicate in, in Montreal. So it's a it's a lighter absolute number than uh, than the uh, CFC one experience. Okay, great. Uh, thank you for that. And then on the inflation, um, a lot of indications are pointing to a spike starting in January. I don't know if you could comment on that based on what you're seeing, but um, is there a level of inflation that you believe it becomes problematic for margins and that, you know, once you get beyond that level, it starts to put pressure on margins because you can't pass it all through? Um, yes. Uh, there's a, at some point, as we said, uh, if inflation is too high, uh, customer can leave the product or the category for substitution, 
And it's why we believe in our full service business with our large assumption, there's many, many options for customers to mitigate that. When we have asked from supplier, we working with them, we're working in collaboration, uh, even we teach them or coach them to look at uh, the potential impact of rising cost or prices too fast, uh, because if you lose a customer in a category, it could take a lot of time to recover that. So yes, everybody is concerned about it, supplier and us, and uh, but I think we'll find always uh, it's an industry issue. It's a worldwide issue. Um, we're working really well, in, in fact, in the food industry to mitigate cost increase. If we compare uh, how we manage inflation right now compared to other industries, uh, I think we're doing a pretty good job. And uh, that's because the relationship we have, the strong relationship we have with supplier, and uh, we look in our business for long term. Uh, but at this point of time, there's no sign that will have an impact on our margin. Okay, and is there like would five, six percent be the area, the kind of inflection point? If I can predict that, that would be more rich for sure. But no, I don't think it's. I think it's very tough to predict. And once again, it's varied by category. So that's that's the that's the trigger. Uh, over the last couple of months, inflation was very high in meat. We are seeing going down slightly. Now we're seeing more inflation in Purdue, so it's it's very volatile by category. So very tough to predict over time. It, it depends the weight of the category into the basket and into the format. Uh, I I personally hate averages for that reason. Okay. All right. Thank you. And just finally, uh, on the NCIB, uh, you only bought about 600,000 shares in Q2, but you know 3.3 million in Q1. So should we look at the now, on average, you're on pace to get pretty close to your full buyback. Should we expect you to get close to that, like pick it up in the second half and um, and and be something similar to what you had for all of the first half? Well, on, so on NCIB, I mean, we're always balancing the cash flow needs of the, of the company um, in terms of how many, how many shares we buy back in a specific quarter. Um, so that's the main reason for the difference between Q1 and Q2. We still see share buybacks as a great use of, um, of cash, so we'll continue to do that. Um, but again, we'll balance our cash flows for the balance of the year. But we expect it to go up, we expect it to be higher, certainly versus what we did in Q2, in Q3 and Q4. All right, thank you. Have a great holiday. You too. Thank you. And your next question will be from Peter Sklar at BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, good afternoon. Um, on a couple of questions, like you've already touched on this, which is, you know, your analytical promotional optimization, which, you know, which is really facilitating your margin improvement. So can you just elaborate a little bit on what you're doing and, and what has changed? Is it you have more data, you have more software, more training for your merchants? So when you, you use that expression, maybe just elaborate a little bit on on what you've accomplished there. We're just leveraging more and more the data we had in hand in the past. So I think that's the that's the improvement. It's the quantity of data we had in hand in the past was just amazing. We just we are just able to leverage it more now than 
we did in the past, uh, and and the team has better, I would say, recommendation insights than in the past, and better information means better decisions, and we remain um, reliable. We continue to rely on people, but the, the quality of information they have to make decisions is much better than it was in the past. And I think what is being, sorry if I may interject. I think Pierre's being a little modest. I think he and his and his team and our and our merchants have completely and utterly embraced the fact that we are that this is better for customers and better for our business. That we have a data analytics team that works hand in hand with our um, our merchants and um, and, uh, and others in Pierre's group. And it was really Pierre's right. We always had the data. We t we told you that um, we had it. We're going to have better and better data. It's just a matter of the merchants and others having confidence in our plans, and, and they do, and they see the ramifications and the results, and they're embracing it more and more. So we're not nearly done here. Um, but I think, it's, I think it's, 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 it's putting the data in good order, but it's really having that data analytics team and then merchants embracing it. And we've okay. seen that, and that's why we're getting the results we're getting. Okay, that makes sense. Um, can you talk... Uh, a little bit about the Olympics. Was there any spend in Q2, and will we see accelerated spend as in the in the next few quarters or the next couple of quarters as we go into the Olympics? And will it be noticeable in terms of as your results unfold? Well, um, we're really excited. We really liked what happened um, at the uh, the Summer Olympics and what we saw in terms of. Uh, um, uh, what, how we performed against competition in terms of perception of our customers, and, and I think the marketing team did an extraordinary job for their first uh, Olympics. They've they've even gained some uh, some better ideas for the upcoming games. So we're really excited. Oddly, they both games fall in the same fiscal quarter, which is which is odd and probably will never happen again. Um, I think you'll see maybe a little bit of extra SGNA, but we move our uh, in terms of marketing, but it would be. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about it. We move our spend around and concentrate on different things, and um, and so we'll put more emphasis on the Olympics, maybe a little bit less uh, emphasis on a few other things. Okay. Thanks. Um, Good question. Um, and then just my last question. Um, you've talked, uh, you've explained how the ramps work for uh, GTA on the CFCs for GTA in Montreal. Um, what, what's your sense of timing on Calgary and like have you broken ground there and when do we start to see the dilutive impacts of Calgary? Uh, we have uh, we have started construction in Calgary. Um, we're uh, planning to be open in Calgary uh, F23 um, first half. Uh, so similar to Montreal, probably a couple of quarters before that open. Okay, great. Uh, that's all I have. Thank you. Thank you. And your next question will be from Vishal Sridhar at National Bank. Please go ahead. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Um, most of my questions have been answered, but maybe I'll start with um, just a longer-term strategic question. This uh, management team has been, um, you, you know, uh, pretty, uh, pretty, um, uh, pretty bold, and they made some big bets on the future. Um, and uh, and um, so I'm wondering, as as you look at your entire business, you know, two businesses that I, I don't hear as much talk about quarter to quarter, your C store business, 
and, uh, and, and your lot in this pharmacy business. Wondering if management's looking at uh, if if it considers those businesses to be poor, or, or if you're looking at the attractive multiples in the market, and you can uh, take that capital and reallocate elsewhere. I've had this. I think I've had the same answer for what is next month, five years, um, which is we like these businesses. They make us money. We will always assess all of our assets on behalf of our owners, our investors, to ensure that the. Uh, that we're putting our capital in the right way, and as long as I would say, as long as you're 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 with us and you're part of the family, you're core. And but if we assess that there are new members of the family, like we've we brought on, or that we can um, monetize assets going forward and make sense to us, and it's good for our business and good for our owners, who you, 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 many of whom are on the line today, then we'll do it. We'll, we'll make all the right decisions. But. Um, um, Right now, these are core businesses, and we're happy with their performance. Okay, and uh, switching gears here, um, obviously quarter to quarter, management's uh, showing progress with Project Horizon. You indicated that uh, you're pleased with the progress to date. Uh, at the time that Project Horizon was indicated, it was pre-COVID, and it was a $500 million growth of the by fiscal 2023. Um, but that base doesn't include longos. It doesn't include the structural potential benefit that we may see in the market. So as, as management evaluates that target, and I know last time with Sunrise, um, uh, you took another look at it and you eventually increased that, uh, that expectation. So what does management need to see to get more confident that perhaps there's upside to that target, or is it a question of market volatility? Yeah, it's a good question, but I'm going to groundhog day here, which is that uh, and answer the same thing I said basically at the same time in the second year of Sunrise, which is we have a target. We're going to hit that target. And if, if we can beat that target, we'll beat it. Um, I, I'm so proud of the team to still be on Horizon, that we're so confident on Horizon at this point, which was pre-COVID, pre-this inflation, pre-some of the labor, the wages issues, and some of the other things that they're facing, and to face all that, still be on target for, for, uh, for that $500 million, and, and, and then we'll see from there. Um, but I, just like I said during Sunrise, I'm not... Uh, the team knows what its goals are. If they can overachieve, they shall do so. Thanks for the color. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. Next question will be from Chris Lee at Desjardins. Please go ahead. All right, good afternoon. Uh, may I start with a question on own brands? Um, can you remind us, are you pretty much done with the, the reset? Um more than the halfway, I would say. Um, and uh, as you know, uh, developing a new product takes more time. Uh, the list the product, it's, it's faster. Uh, so some elements of the rebuild are already done. Um, so, But we're already seeing positive trend on both penetration and rate. Uh, which is a good sign, and it's just the beginning because the rebuild has been done. A part of category has been done last, not last year, last quarter. We are in a, another group of category, um, so I think it will just continue to grow. Uh, we are just at the beginning. I would say uh, maybe one third of the benefit have been captured on an annualized basis and would continue to grow. Perfect, and maybe just follow up on that. Just you know, are you able to provide us um, with some data on what the, the penetration is for private label? If not the absolute level, maybe 
just the growth versus now versus say two years ago before the project started, just to give a sense of just how well um, the program is doing from a customer perspective. Uh, once again, I, I don't like that KPI for obvious reason. And once again, it depends by category. In some category, the penetration is much higher because I think uh, own brand is meaningful in that category. In other brand, there is no need to have own brand. So once again, because I hate averages, I won't go there. But uh, once again, um, it depends on category, uh, and it will continue to grow overall compared to where we are. Uh, we are using a lot of exclusivity as well. So it depends on the definition of private label. I think having an exclusive brand to us, if it's not complement or Pranash, could be uh, considered as a own brand. So we have many, many strong partnerships like that with supplier. We're exclusive with many suppliers for product that the uh, customer really enjoyed. So um, overall, I think we have a good assortment unique to us uh, to build loyalty with our customers. Perfect. Okay, great. And, and then maybe just a question on on, on Ocado. Um, I, I believe that the U.S. International Trade Commission is in the process of reviewing the patent infringement lawsuit brought on by Auto Store against Ocado. Um, I guess my question is, you know, in the event of, of an unfavorable ruling against Ocado, would that in any way kind of impact the service or the the, the rollout plan for Sobeys in, in Canada? Thank you. Yeah, we won't comment on the uh, first part of the question, but the answer is uh, no, it won't impact it. Okay, thanks, uh, Michael, and uh, all the best for the holiday. Thank you, you too. And thanks to, I know, I think you might be the last question, Chris, so before the operator comes on, I want to thank uh, the investment community, South Side by Side, uh, for everything during the year and wish you all great holidays and uh, safe holidays and a fun one with your family and friends. Appreciate your keeping track, Empire, and, and, uh, and your questions, keeping us honest. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. And at this time, I would like to turn the call back over to Katie Bryan. Great. Thank you, Sylvie. We appreciate the continued interest in Empire. If there are any unanswered questions, please contact me by phone or email. We look forward to having you join us for our third quarter Fiscal 22 conference call on March 9th. Happy holidays. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this does indeed conclude your conference call for today. Once again, thank you for attending, and at this time, we do ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.